Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. HousingWire Daily examines the most compelling mortgage, real estate, and fintech articles reported from the HousingWire newsroom. Each afternoon, the HW Digital team provides our listeners with a deeper look into the stories that are helping move markets forward. Hosted and produced by Alcina Lloyd and Victoria Wickham. And now, here's our host. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Victoria Wickham, and this is Housing Wire Daily. In this episode, HW Plus Managing Editor Brennan Nath joins Housing Wire Managing Editor James Kleiman to discuss some of the challenges VA borrowers often face when purchasing a home in a competitive housing market. The pair also review topics the Housing Wire editorial team will cover in the week ahead, including compensation structures for different sectors within the mortgage and real estate industry. But before we listen, here's a brief word on Housing Wire's newest podcast. Right now, more than ever, the housing industry has been having honest conversations about how race impacts the home buying process. To heighten the discussion, Housing Wire is launching Honest Conversations, a new mini podcast series to examine the state of minority home ownership in America. For eight weeks starting in February, please join Housing Wire Daily each Wednesday as we aim to provide listeners with a greater perspective on how race, housing, and wealth intersect and what experts are doing to close the home ownership gap. Happy Monday, James. Uh, We just got off our weekly morning huddle. Excited to kind of unpack all that now with you. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Happy Monday to you. For those who aren't familiar, we say this every week, but we go live each Monday in our Housing Wire Facebook group. If you aren't a member of there yet, feel free to join. You can watch us live every Monday at 830 Mountain Time, so Fast Math 1030 Eastern Time. Um, we spotlight different people in the newsroom. So this week we have our managing editor, James Kleiman with us. Sometimes we have Sarah Wheeler, our editor in chief with us, just kind of going over and unpacking the top stories that are coming across our newsletter desk, along with getting an inside look from their perspective on what's piqued their interest, what's happening and what we can expect throughout the week. So jumping right in, James, we just got up our huddle. Let's start with that first question of right now, what is a story that you're closely following? So I'm, I'm working with uh, with another reporter in the newsroom, and and I've heard for quite some time, just in in little drips and trabs, um, about the the trouble that a lot of VA borrowers have in this housing market. Uh, I don't mean to be redundant. I think everyone knows at this point that it's a really wild. Um, I don't know if I can say this on camera, but batshit crazy housing market. You know, and and um, and it's. To some, they they might think it's a bubble. Others think that this is sustainable because of low inventory. 
um, you know, and, and changing consumer behavior. But the reality of it is um, the last year has really exacerbated some of the existing troubles that we see. And so in, in certain hot housing markets, it's really difficult for people who are getting an FHA or a VA loan to compete with, with certainly with cash buyers, definitely with investors, but but also people who have conventional, you know, Fannie, Freddie kind of loans. And um, and so I've been asking a lot of the LOs that I speak with, you know, why is this? You know, what are you seeing in the VA lending space these days? And uh, pretty much across the board, they've all said, yeah, it's impossible. It's completely impossible. If you're a veteran, you're looking to take advantage of the VA program in which, you know, you put very little down. There's there's basically an origination fee, um, but it is it is a loan that is wholly subsidized and guaranteed by the federal government. Um, now that that may sound great for somebody, um, but what happens is it comes with certain conditions, and those conditions for the seller can be quite onerous. So there are termite termite inspections. There are all kinds of you know paint based um, requirements. Uh, you know the, the home has to be up to a certain standard for the government to say, we're going to guarantee this loan. We want to make sure that it is 100% safe for a veteran to, to move in right away. And, you know, I, I think under normal circumstances, that would be without objection. That would be fine. Not a lot of people would raise eyebrows. But when you're seeing 20, 30, 40, 50 offers on a home, people are wavering, waving, excuse me, waving every contingency under the sun, you know, they're buying as is and, and sellers are saying you have until Sunday at 4 p.m. to put your highest and best bid. It's impossible for a VA buyer to compete because the program requirements essentially say, you know, we, we have certain conditions that must be met and the sellers will never accept it. And so what I've been hearing from a lot of LOs and, and real estate agents as well on the buy side is if those VA borrowers qualify for standard underwriting under Fannie or Freddie, we're just going to have them do that because otherwise like they'll never get the home, you know, like uh, you're, you're basically dividing by zero. Um, and so that, that's a huge systemic problem. And, and, uh, you know, the, the VA program in particular has come under scrutiny for quite some time about some of the onerous conditions that they require um, and some of the appraisals that are very low, according to the LOs and real estate agents who, who certainly have skin in the game and like, Let's not be mistaken that that they have incentive to tell me that that it's it's not their fault that you know their client wasn't able to close on a home through a VA loan, but it was the you know the appraiser who um you know who is six months or a year behind the times. But but it is a problem, and so we're we're going to be continuing to examine the issue. I hope that our story will be ready later this week. Um, I always hesitate to say this will be ready on Thursday or Friday because um you know it's it's a little bit more of an art than a science here. I'm going to keep people on their toes. We bring a lot of, I think, personal, at this point, everyone that we know in our own circles fears buying homes and have their own two cents. I think when it comes to housing market, I know um, personally here in Colorado, there's, um, it's called the Colorado First Time Home Buyer Credit. It's anyways, it's a basically That's a great. grant that you can kind of get to buy a home and it goes on your mortgage. And you're, we're, we've had friends try to buy homes here and that even gets flagged along with FHA, VA. And then if you're also using this first time home buyer program that goes towards your down payment, it's another thing get, that gets flagged. Um, just adding to that sphere of like what or that ecosystem of what you want to put on your kitchen or how much you're putting down, stuff like that. So 
Um, keep everyone on their toes. Stay tuned for that story sometime this week um, and good incentive to sign up for our newsletters as well. Um, outside of that story, James, I did want to, right then you touched on um, how we have a reporter in the newsroom uh, covering that. Can you shed a little bit more light on some of the recent changes, exciting changes in the newsroom and the addition of our newest reporter? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited about all this. Uh, so we've, we've undergone a lot of changes over the last year. I think pretty much every Every company, every office has, you know, over the last um, last twelve or so months, um, and and so what we're we're trying to do here at Housing Wire now is we're trying to build a different kind of newsroom. We're we're really trying to uh, propel a lot of feature based, investigative, originally reported journalism that is multi source that is. Um, really trying to understand the subject. You know, I'm I'm not a loan originator. I have never originated a loan in my life. I've talked to many of them, and and I feel I know a little bit about how how they live their lives, and and you know what sort of stresses they they carry. You know, when when the clock is no longer ticking at work, and and their accomplishments and some of the challenges technologically, or you know whatever. And so, really, one of the main goals for us has been to build a newsroom that is reflective and, and a little bit more understanding of the people we cover. And and you know, we we don't just cover loan originators; we we cover people who who are humans and and who happen to loan, uh, you know, issue loans to to borrowers out there. And and I think the best coverage journalistically comes when you understand your subjects. And so with that in mind, you know, we, we did hire a new reporter. Uh, her name is Georgia Cromry, and um, I was her editor at The Real Deal, where we both previously worked. And Georgia has a lot of experience covering housing markets. She was uh, covering a lot of multifamily commercial in New York City, which is quite a blood sport for those um, who don't know. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of regulatory issues there. Um and and she's she's an excellently sourced reporter. She has great instincts. She knows the beat really well. And so she's going to be coming in and, and covering a bit of a different beat, which is um covering a lot of regulatory policy. So covering FHA, FHFA, uh, covering HUD, covering the CFPB, but also Fannie and Freddie. And we've we've got a, a cracker of a story coming up this week, which is on HUD and um, some of the transition issues. Uh, between the Trump administration and the Biden administration. There's a lot more to it than just that. And uh, it involves a whistleblower. It involves uh, quite a bit of palace intrigue as well, you know, in terms of the goings on at HUD. And um, and I think it's really reflective of the, the kind of journalism that we're, we're really trying to build a newsroom, um, you know, for an industry that is going to be changing a lot over the next four years. You know, I, I think it's important to note that the Trump administration was, um, to some laissez-faire, to others um, quietly corrupt. You know, I, I I don't think it's responsible to say that definitively, but but there are a lot of questions about you know the effectiveness and the interest that um, you know people at some of the housing uh, related agencies uh, were were up to, and um, and if anything, the Biden administration has already signaled that that they're going to be making policy. Uh, through housing, a, a really key part of their um, their their overall strategy, and so we're already seeing a lot of changes. You know, the, the budget for HUD just came in; it looks like a fifteen percent increase. You may not get the whole thing; it, it may be, you know, certain programs that come through and others that don't. But um, but I think we're we're going to see a lot more um, interest in the housing space over the next four years, 
and certainly a lot more regulatory uh, intrigue. And, uh, you know, we, we see it all the time already with which is the, um, the search results that we get. We have so many more people interested in the CFPB, for example, than was the case a year ago. Um, and, uh, you know, the same is true with the FHFA and, and some of the GSEs as well. So it's a pretty exciting time for housing. And we want our reporters to be really up close and to understand the subjects and to know them very well. And, uh, you know, to, to bring people unvarnished, unbiased reporting that is reflective of the issues of the day. I'm going to take this opportunity to tease the magazine just a little bit since that segues into a feature from Dave Stevens, who used to be oversee the uh, Mortgage Bankers Association. But his piece in the May issue, which is the feature, one of the main features in it, goes into the role of what the government plays and the role of the head secretary. Um, and basically, to your point, all of these different pieces in government right now that have a hand or a stake in housing regulation and how that plays out because so many people have a role in it and creating change because of that. So I wanted to use that kind of loose description. I don't know if I gave the best one without fully um, explaining the story, but that will be out on May 1st. And then um, where can people reach Georgia? What's a good email for her? So her email address is the letter G for Georgia, and then her last name, Cromrai, which is K-R-O-M-E-I at housingwire.com. So to close out, I always like to ask the same question, which is there anything else that you'd like to add? We're now halfway through April, um, kind of through the first quarter of 2021. What else would you maybe want to note? Yeah, we're, we're going to be taking a lot of um, a lot of takes on, on compensation structures for various sectors within mortgage and the real estate industry. And so, you know, I've written a good deal about LO compensation and, um, you know, should you get a you know 100 bibs 125 152 you know how how are how are regulators considering caps how are people dealing with respa issues um so that's that's one thing that we're going to continue to take a look on especially today as as you look at at um at what's going on some of the trend lines you know we're we're seeing margins really start to narrow pretty considerably you know i, I think the days of 500 bib quarters are are vanishing very quickly if, if they're not already gone. Um, and so I, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be at the normal levels. Like I don't think we're going to see like 60, 70 PPS numbers for, for a lot of the big originators. Um, but we're going to see in the probably 150, 200 range, which is not bad, definitely not bad. Um, but of course, what that also means is, you know, compensation is going down. Um, and and so we're, we're probably already past the peak and we want to take a look at how, especially with refis dwindling, how a lot of loan originators are going to be making making money this year. You know, this this is how they get paid. It's important. And and similar to that, you know, we're we're also looking at um, real estate commission issues. You know, the standard six, you know, four to six depends on the market, of course. Um, there have been a lot of lawsuits. There have always been lawsuits about compensation related to real estate agents. You know, it's it's really been in effect since as the 90s that we're we're really at kind of the same the same compensation model uh, that has been uh, mostly led by NAR the the National Association of Realtors but also the big brokerages and um, and it's interesting because they're you know the brokerages themselves are paying bigger splits than they used to you know it's it's Compass for example they have agents who they pay 95 percent splits to which means Compass basically doesn't make any money off any of those sales. Um, and a lot of the brokerages had to play catch up. Um, but then you look at at a certain you know market like today, in which if 
if I listed, let's say I had a home for, for argument's sake, I could probably, not that it would be advised, I could do, you know, a FISBO for sale by owner. I could pay a brokerage like what, $200, $300. I could put it on the MLS and I guarantee you I would get offers today and I could probably get a real estate lawyer and, um, and, and do the home myself. I wouldn't do that. You know, I think as do most people that the real estate agent still provides a lot of value and a lot of service. Um, but I think there are real questions as to, is it commensurate with the amount of money they're making based on how much work they're doing and whether that should be explicitly tied to the price that the home sells for? Because you could do very little work on, you know, a $6 million home and, and get, you know, what, like a 3%, 4% commission on that, you know, it's, hundred thousand dollars or so, or you can spend a year, two years, three years on a home that sells for $250,000 and you put in way more work and way more marketing and, and much more, um, you know, blood, sweat and tears and make, you know, a fraction of that. And so, um, there is a, a class action lawsuit right now that's going through the court system from a discount brokerage called Rex. And so, Matthew Blake, who's our senior real estate reporter, is is looking into the issue of real estate compensation and and whether, um, you know, the, these are structures that that will change or should change, um, and uh, you know, as is always the case with with structural compensation issues, there are a lot of people who have a vested interest in it remaining the same, and and a lot of others who have, you know, a big interest in in completely changing it, you know, disruptors and discount brokerages and others, so. Um, so we're, we're going to be reporting that that may be ready this week. Um, and, uh, yeah, so stay tuned. I was rereading Matthew Blake's piece on EXP realty over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, and think that's an interesting, and I'm not sure if it fits wholly into what you just kind of outlined, but just how their unique structure is right now. Um, and the line that did intrigue me the most was how EXP made sure to emphasize that when it comes to how the person underneath the agent who they recruited gets paid, it's coming out of EXP's profit, not so much the, how much right. the commission that the real estate agent was going to get into. But that is key. Yeah. Yeah. How does that, play, how does like the Redfin agent play into this story? How does the EXP commission story play into this, if at all? Yeah. So I, when it really plays a role in the overall cost that the seller or buyer, you know, depending on, um, in, in some cases, I, typically the seller, you know, plays like the seller is still paying the same amount of money for an EXP agent, you know, and, and splits are always not the splits, but, but the actual closing costs are negotiable. I don't think most people know that, um, especially now, but, um, yeah, look, there are always different structures in brokerage. And so I, I think what's the most interesting is, is either the rise of some of the discount brokerages that are coming up and a discount brokerage can mean a few different things, right? Like discount brokerage could mean the discount that the home seller is um, would, would receive on the sale of a home or a discount brokerage could mean, you know, essentially like the, the relationship between the brokerage and the agent, which is a little bit different. And so we, we started to get into the weeds a little bit here, but but I, I think the main, the main thing that, that we want to be, thinking about here is, is companies like Redfin, right? So they have salaried agents. That's totally different. You know, there, there was a, a company, Purple Bricks. I think they declared bankruptcy. They, they had a tough go at it. 
Um, but there are companies like this that that have a different model that that essentially say like we'll pay the agent eighty thousand dollars a year and like they don't have to worry about the commission. They don't have the pressure, you know, of of um, you know washing out or um, you know a, what some believe to be poor incentive models in in terms of giving people good service. And so, you know, a lot of real estate agents believe that Zillow and Redfin represent a totally existential threat to the model that they have. You know, and and at the end of the day, I think what is indisputable is that these days, the average consumer has so much more informational power than they did, you know, even 10, 15 years ago. And you you can pretty much find out almost as much information as the average real estate agent if you're a motivated seller or buyer. You know, there are, there are so many more tools available. There's so much more information available. It's not like the old days where the agent held all the cards and you were just like, well, I don't know. I hope it sells in six. Like, you know, the agent is an expert and she's going to tell me what it, what it's worth. You know, I, I don't think that stranglehold is, is, is true today as it once was, but I mean, look at the real trend stats, look at the, the top brokerages. They're still the same brokerages. You add compass in there, but it's the same players. So even if the hold is changing a little bit, and consumers are exploring different models because they don't want to pay a 6% split for, for closing. Um, I don't think that the big brokerages are under threat of really, you know, getting washed away with the tide, but it's something appreciate to watch for, for sure. And I appreciate you breaking that down. Cause I know Matthew's been kind of going into each, I mean, he's done EXP. He even just did Zillow, which I would also um, can share a link in this afterwards just to look at how Zillow plays into this whole equation to your point of um, how they're like they're shifting into a transaction kind of business, which is another to your point. Um, now more companies are seeing them as a competitor. So real estate mortgage, a lot of things coming down the pipeline, but as always, James, just appreciate your time um, and feel free to continue to listen to the podcast or the Facebook group, just kind of get these stories. So thanks so much, James. Thanks very much, Brenna. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Alcina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and we'll catch everyone back here again tomorrow.